Hello, and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann, and this is The Hard Part. This shows a deep dive into strategies, founding stories, and more behind Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Mark Campagna. Mark is the co-founder of Oxio. Oxio is an internet service provider without the big telecom BS. In this episode, we discuss how Mark started Oxio, and then I got a crash course on the Canadian telecom industry. Please enjoy this very interesting conversation with Mark Campagna. Mark, I'd really love to start with your upbringing, your time at Laval, Y Combinator, and kind of how that early work experience influenced you where you are today. Yeah. Um, Actually, what's relevant for for Axio is that prior to starting Axio, when I was studying in law uh, at Laval, um, Francis and I, which is my co-founder, Actually, our first company was building telecom networks for underserved population in rural Quebec uh, because my parents moved from uh, the city to the countryside and I was still living with them and studying um, uh, from their home. But operating that company for two years, it became clear to us that we weren't tackling the right problem in the telecom space uh, because we were attacking more the infrastructure side of things. And we realized in operating those networks and those infrastructure that the bigger problem was actually software in the telecom space. So we actually pivoted the company to Oxio to what it is today. And Oxio started with one, one simple assumptions actually is that telecom companies are the most aided companies all across the board. When you look at NPS score among all industries, it's even more aided than banks and all, and all those like oil companies and all those companies. But contrary, contrary to popular belief, it's not because they're deeply evil uh, companies that they, and they want to offer bad products and bad services. It's only because they don't have the right tools to serve the customers and manage the expectations, diagnostic, uh, and and uh, analysis on if your internet services is working or not, and all the data that you need to serve the customers right, aka the right software. So actually, Oxio, we right now don't really own, we own some physical infrastructure, but we don't really own the cables that are layered uh, across uh, roads and uh, underneath uh, the ground and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we're still able to offer the best telecom products and services available in the country because of the software we built to offer the best customer experience on top of the infrastructure. And I know it's a long answer, but I just want to set some 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 kind of context. Um, like, you know, A16Z say that software is eating up uh, the world. Well, software is eating up telecom as well. Kind of like uh, what AWS did with compute power, Oxio is trying to do what uh, what AWS did in Amazon with telecom networks. So that was the premises of how Oxio came to life, actually. Now, that's interesting that you kind of started in that infrastructure space. What were some key learnings that you took away from there and ultimately led you to pivot? Like, was it not an attractive space? Was it already 
you know, is it deeply entrenched with like big companies that kind of own that space? Like what were some downsides to the infrastructure play? <laughs> there was so many downsides. It's crazy. Um, but actually it's like when you think at the telecom industry as a whole in Canada, it's like one of the most regulated industry. So when you think about the business plan and the forces um, at stakes in that kind of industry, uh, regulatory is a highly prevalent force in the industry. And you have to be aware of that before starting a telecom space, which we weren't. Um, and building those kind of networks is really harder uh, that, that, we thought, and also it's not our core expertise and it wasn't our pet passion. Our passion was to really create a dent in the telecom space. They offer a magical experience like you would uh, using Uber for the first time or Airbnb or whatever, but for telecom and connectivity. But when we were building networks, we were actually solely focused on building the networks and we were leaving on the table the customer experience and the software side of things because all our money was poured into building networks. So I really learned, we learned the hard way of like focus and prioritization and knowing what is your core expertise as a company uh, early on, because you can do, you can do one amazing thing in your company, maybe two after 10 years of existence, but you can only choose so few of them. So we decided that incumbents, Bell, Rogers, Shaw, all those big guys, where the people like where the right people were the right expertise to actually build infrastructure, but weren't the right people to serve customers. And we decided to put ourselves in between and kind of being the accessibility layer that eliminates all friction to get access to those networks. And and why do you think from like a Bell Shaw you know, why aren't they able to service that customer? Is it just due to being legacy? You have so many layers of, you know, history there, the size of the organization, you know, just prioritizing the wrong things. Like, where's that missing gap there? Yeah, they, they don't have the right talent and they don't attract the right talent to build, build that kind of software. And it's not what driving stocks value in the market to get good customer experience. It's to lay networks, to lay infrastructure, to connect more users to it. But the experience that those users experience is not what driving value for shareholders and those companies. And also the talent issue is pretty real. It's pretty simple, but pretty real. And the, the example I, I always use, use is like, if you're a software engineer that comes out of Waterloo or whatever, the, McGill, whatever the university, the last industry or the last companies you're probably going to work, go work for is probably in telecom. And that's a real issue for those companies. So, and that's, that's one of the main problems, I think. And with Oxio, that kind of focus on the consumer, you, you, you know, you mentioned bringing that kind of Airbnb experience. You, you really saw that as a space that, you know, you could attract talent to provide a better customer experience, which would ultimately lead to you getting thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of customers. Exactly. Um, I think that focusing like we built, like, I think there's two, there's between two and five people who have, who has experience in telecom in our company, we're a hundred people. So like we're a software company operating in the, in the telecom space. And we're not the other way around. 
So we started as a telecom company and we, uh, as a software company, and we wanted to attract people who wants to solve big, airy, ambitious problems. And telecom is a big, airy, ambitious goal. When you look at Canada, uh, can, uh, Canadian problems, like the problem that we have in our, in our country, breaking that oligopoly is probably one of the biggest moonshots you can do for the country. If you think about it, um, like they have deep roots into lobbying. They're probably the most, the most potent lobbying forces in the country. So they can dictate to even some people what's going to happen. And they, they can twist, <laughs> not literally twist arms, but they can influence some decisions and all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's Canadians' money because most of the networks that were being deployed in the country were funded by the governments, by Canadians' money. So tackling that issue and making sure that the prices drop, that in prices is a big issue, but it's not the only one. There's also uh, the experience in eliminating all frictions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's also what's next in connectivity, what's next, what's next in telecom. And focusing on the software layer will allow us to see and uncover the new products that, that are going to be uh, rolled out on top of your internet connection that a software li like us will have the best position, the privileged position to roll out those services to customers. When you think about um, uh, intelligent ohms like smart ohms, uh, when you think about self-driving cars, when you think about that, how the devices in the world that are connected to the electricity are probably going to connect it to the internet as well in the future, you can fairly start to imagine that those connectivity services are going to evolve over time and they're not going to really evolve solely based on the infrastructure that is available, but based on the software that runs those infrastructure as well. That's why we believe that Oxio is a privileged spot to be on the forefront of that changes of those changes in the years to come. And you brought up an interesting point there with like having such limited amount of people on your team actually have telecom experience. And I think that's reflective if you look at Uber, Airbnb, any great company that's being started. So I guess I'd love to get kind of your mindset or your view on that and why it's usually people outside the industry can make such big changes within a very like established industry. Is it just that creative view focusing more on the customer they have a unique like viewpoint why do you think that that comes outside of the industry it's it it like gets the experts bias out of the way and fo it and helps you focus on first principles um i had like i didn't know what megabytes megabits were before i started uh my first telecom company with francis um, what I did know is that I was pestering Francis, like always asking him questions. And I was, I, I had a notepad and I was going to dinner at his place and like asking him questions about the industry and stuff. And I had like a desire to know more and now I know more, but it's still a fine line between like having that expert syndrome of like, you see live industry as is, and that's why you're an expert because you have knowledge of the current status quo. And also being able to go out of that expert state from time to time and also seeing, having a fresh perspectives on what's happening. So experts and people industry are highly, highly relevant and are needed. And we're going to have to have more and more relevant uh, people with relevant expertise in our company as we grow. 
that's for sure. Um, but we, we, we are striving to look for the, the right balance. And, and what have you noticed, I guess, from early success in terms of customers moving over to Oxio from the established players? What is driving people to your platform? Is it that customer success, word of mouth, um, that onboarding flow is much easier? Like I've tried to set up Shaw Internet multiple times and it's kind of a pain in the ass. So what has made you successful in that space? It's it's all those answers. The first triggers, like our first customers were usually triggered by two main points. The first one was uh, a pricing change uh, in their current bundle. So they started looking and us, we provide the most fair and sustainable pricing out there. And what we mean by fair and sustainable is pretty simple is that the price we offer you, we want it to be the price that you're going to pay for the rest of your life. And we put every single effort that we can to provide you that price. And up to this day, we never changed a customer price um, since since the beginning of the company in 2019. Um, and that's something people people like. Like you want to think about internet, your internet con- connectivity as something you forget. Like you, you don't want to think about it in terms of pricing, you don't want to look at your credit card and see that it has increased from 30% because you changed year and you received the annual letter from Bell or those big guys that. So to improve the, improve the quality of services that we offer you, we're going to jack the price to eternity by up to 30% year over year. You're like, no, that's, that's nonsense. You don't want that. And second, you want it to work all the time. Uh, we have some limitations on the second side. But also software is able to be more proactive on that side when it's rightly done like we do at Oxio. For example, when there was the Rogers outage, the Rogers national outage, we were able to alert our customers that there was an outage and that we were on it and we were waiting for updates about what's going on on Rogers network before Rogers announced it to their own customers. So being able to use that software to troubleshoot and to monitor, to make sure that our customers are online and we have triggers that send us information if that's not the case is also really important because if you work at home or something and you know that tomorrow maybe you're not going to have internet because there's a national outage, you're going to plan your day, your next day differently, right? So that also, even though we don't own infrastructure, our software is also able to, to, to be is also able to offer a better product as well uh, if the network that we are on it is, is functioning properly. So all those kind of things customers really appreciate. And what customers, new customers, appreciate more and more is our radical transparency. You can go on our website. The telecom industry is like the biggest black box. Like people know that they have internet, but they don't know what is going on and what happens between the company and them to get the service and big incumbents like it that way. Uh, they like it that it's opaque because they can charge a one gigabit plan that people don't need at a bigger ARPU, which creates more value for them. So us, we are radically transparent. We have, you can go on our website on the transparency page and you can see what is our cost breakdown to offer you or your, your, your services. You can also see that we, all we do when we price a bundle or an internet package is that we go for 24 months payback. So for 24 months, we don't make a single single penny out of you because we want to show you that 
we're the right prov provider for you. We want to deliver value for you, for you. And we know that if we deliver value for you, for you for 24 months, you're going to rest with us, that you're going to stay with us for, uh, for the long term. And that's, that's how our business model was, was built. And so you can have access to all the cost breakdown to offer that service. And you can start to, and go on our blog as well. And you can start to uncover and understand a bit more what is actually going on in telecom and how does that work and where my money goes and all that kind of stuff. And that is something that customers really appreciate as well. I love that focus on value. If, if you were to give a kind of a breakdown of what that, you know, that internet infrastructure looks like, like where does it begin and how does it actually physically end at a consumer's home? Obviously this could be super complex, but is there kind of a high level like view of what that typical journey looks like? We should ask my co-founder Francis on that, which is the one leading all uh, the tech side of, of, of telecom at our company. I don't, e I don't even want to try because I tried in a prior podcast and Francis texted me after that and was like, Mark, I will give you some pointers. That was not the right way to explain it, to break it down. So I'm going to refrain from, um, fr from receiving a text from Francis. But like and high level fiber, there's different technology in telecom. There's FTTH, which is fiber to the home. So there's literally a fiber pipes that goes from the incumbent's data center through customer home. And that uh, there's cable, which is the same thing, but with cable, there's DSL, which were the former tele telephone poles uh, that started to offer internet as well services on top of the on top of that. And for mobile, it's telecom towers that use different spectrums, radio spectrum signals to deliver uh, mobile services in certain areas. But I would I wouldn't go deeper than that for uh, the technical te telecom side of things. So where Oxio comes in, would it be similar to, let's say, um, an RBC MasterCard and you're operating on the payment rails network? So would you be, would you have a relationship with one internet service provider? Do you kind of just whatever access or internet you're able to access for the customer at that point? Um, I guess I'd love to learn a bit more about, you know, you're kind of that layer on top and is it, kind of like a highway that you're using to put your service that's on. That's exactly a highway and that's a great analogy in the sense that like um, we we have we own physical core routers of our network and we connect those networks to the incumbents networks to deploy our internet through their pipes. So we are set up in the main uh, cities in Canada um, in Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto and all those those places we have Data, data centers um, all over the place and our core rotors send internet uh, through incumbents pipes and then we take care of the service afterwards. So we use the pipes to offer our internet services to our customers. And what does that re relationship look like with the incumbents? Uh, I think that's pretty rare for a company to almost be directly competing against the incumbents on their own yeah. playing field. So how does that relationship look? How were those early conversations and how is it go ongoing look like? The relation as is, is not optimal. And it's, the thing is that in Canada, you have the TPIA model, which is third party internet access that the CRTC regulates the telecom industry 
and they force incumbents to lend their networks and do wholesale agreements with competitors like Oxymon. So they're forced to do so. But and there's a tariff that you can go on Rogers website, you can go on Quebecar, you can go on Shaw's website, and you're gonna see exactly how much we're paying for those wholesale rates. Uh, it's public information. And all the relationship is detailed, technically is supposed to be detailed in that tariff, but everything that comes off that tariff, they have a green field and they can do whatever they want, which is not serving us <laughs> most of the time as we would like to be served. And so the, the problem with the current landscape in Canada is that we have a great opportunity in the future to separate the infrastructure owners, which their core expertise is to deploy infrastructure maintain it and take care of it. And the service providers, which are masters at software and offering great services to customers. And you remember when I was talking about core expertise and stuff like that, the incumbents is not their core expertise to serve customers. Look at all the NPS surveys and, and things. You're going to see that it's not their core, their core expertise. Um, and there's an amazing model that is popping out over the world and a lot in the US, a lot of money is pouring into that model. It's open access networks and open access networks. It's a city. It's going to be a, a private company or a public entity that are going to deploy that infrastructure and they're not going to compete against the service providers to deliver a service. They're just going to, our sole job is going to be to license that uh, network to do wholesale agreement and uh, trying to offer competitive pricing. So there's as many internet service providers as possible that use that network to serve customers. And that is a win-win for the infrastructure because they're going to be able to focus and maintain and improve the infrastructure for their customers because the service providers are focused on managing that relationship. And you don't have that weird competition when, when they're, you're using someone else infrastructure and, but your competitors and they don't really want you in. It's the government that forces you to be, to, to, to work with them. So that is problematic as well. And I like it. So really it's a moonshot again, but I believe that Canada would, would, would win so much by just converting to eventually the open access model. And if it's not, it's not the, the, the incumbents that are going to go that route for sure. But if, the uh, government would give funding like they give to incumbents to try that kind of model. I think that could be an amazing thing and you would see prices drop uh, significantly and you would see the customer experience and the services to uh, improve like it, it, it never improved before. And like we love competition, Oxio. I think it's what makes market better it's what makes products better and all kind of stuff but we we love level play level playing field competition kind of competition we we don't like competition when uh it's rigged against a particular person and that a, a particular entity and that's what is happening in canada and that's what we're trying to change with this open access network would that fundamentally have to come from the government to force these current incumbents, I feel like they wouldn't go easily to that model. 
Uh, do you foresee that as having to be a government change? Is that kind of what happened in the United States or other countries? No, it could be private. There's a lot of private equity money that is poured right now as we speak into open access networks in the U.S. So it can be privately funded. Uh, for sure, public uh, funding would, would, of course, help. Like it helped in, in, in so many spaces. But it can be 100% uh, privately fu funded if the field is leveled. And what I mean by that is that even deploying infrastructure in Canada, if you want to deploy infrastructure in Canada, in most of the cities, the only city that I know that they have neutral spots to deploy infrastructure is Montreal. But if you go in Toronto and you go in other cities, the uh, underground... Uh, I don't know the, the word in English to say the, the like the tunnels underground or something that you deploy the fiber is owned by Bell. So if you want to deploy fiber optics to compete against Bell, you have to go knock at their door and ask them, hey, can I deploy fiber to steal all your customers? So that's not, you cannot even do that. Like there's a bean field uh, in Toronto that does that and they're, they're, they're amazing. Like I really, I really respect uh, what they're doing. It's re it's really, it's really great, but it's not, it's not a field that is like those things need, need to change because it's rigged against the, the big guys. And would you foresee like, like the infrastructure for internet laying cable, you know, you, you can just drive around any city and you see the amount of effort and work that has to go into that. Um, it might be out of left field, but you know, with like Starlink, with Elon Musk or other companies trying to beam internet from space. Is there any other like solutions that are even remotely viable that could replace a model that I think is pretty um, heavy, like construction and ha like labor intensive? Yeah. So that's why we don't deploy infrastructure is that in cities and like fibers as pretty much infinite capacity. What doesn't have infinite capacity? It's the equipments that manage uh, the internet that goes through those pipes, the end equipments that manage that bandwidth. And eventually, like all those big Cisco, Nokia, all those companies are rolling out new ports that can allow you to have 100 gigs, 200 gigs, 300 gigs, and all kind of stuff. And that could still, you could still use the same fiber pipes to deliver that bandwidth. So that's why we believe that we should go in a more open access network because you could split the cost of deploying infrastructure so it would be more efficient, it would be cheaper, and that cost would get back to customer. And to answer your question, like a lot of VCs ask us about like, hey, guys, Starlink is going to destroy your company and stuff like that. Elon is coming. And you can look at like going on Twitter and you can go at on Elon's Twitter account. And there's also Trend Griffin, which is a really great that talks about Starling and all that kind of stuff. It's just not viable in a city in a highly dense area to deliver high internet services uh, through satellite. It's just not viable. There's just not enough space in that spectrum to deliver that kind of internet quality. And the best option is fiber for sure in those sector. Um, in rural areas on the countryside and stuff like that or in the woods starlink is amazing what pretty much starlink is doing is expanding the tam of houses that we can deliver internet to in the future because we start right now the only thing that is blocking us to use other kind of infrastructure is the 
regulation side of things in Canada, but we would love to integrate our software and to be able to deliver in the future in Canada, any kind of infrastructure on the back end. So you would go on our website and depending on what are your needs, because remember all the devices are going to be connected on the internet. So maybe you're going to have a soft driving car that you need to be connected to uh, mobile services all the time. You're going to have all your fancy gadgets and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to need a lot of internet services or at least to make sure that it's tailored to your needs. So you would go on our website, enter your address, your needs, your devices and stuff like that. And we could provide you the best package internet services in the backend. And you wouldn't even know what kind of technology is serving you. It would just work, you know, kind of like electricity. And um, the real thing that we realize is that people don't care about what technology they're using to get internet. They just want it to work. Like if it works and they don't have problem with it and they have a decent price, they're not going to go elsewhere because it's painful to transition from one ISP to another. And the, I, I guess that also brings up a question too of, you know, with the, the speed of 5G, like where that is getting at. And I know Shaw, uh, this was many years ago, but was exploring the option of, and I think they still try and do it, but like open internet within downtown cores. How do you see that? playing out like as you mentioned more internet connected devices coming out how do you see you know I, I always think about it from like in the way my mind works is like internet and lte like 5g is separate would there any be would there be a world where that just becomes one universal platform yeah for, i i think so i think that like allowing sim cars to easily switch automatically in the back into any kind of network available, even though it's a competitor and stuff with roaming agreements and everything. And even when you're, you're traveling, like it's happening in some parts of, of the world and it's definitely going to be a standard eventually at some point you want it to work magically. You don't even want to think about it. So the more you can able to eliminate all the friction when you're traveling, having the same plans, not paying like roaming fees and crazy, like you want all, all that is going to tend towards zero like it's it's like compute costs like aws bet on the fact that computer costs were going to zero and they were profiting from the difference by putting a software layer on top of it we kind of use the same thinking data is trending towards zero at some point in terms of price and we want to profit from the difference by being the software layer on top of it and to eliminate the frictions to our customers so it's definitely gonna happen um it's scary for Canadians because we're kind of like in the stone age because of the regulation that has been made in the past. Um, in the U S you have those really innovative initiatives where you have, uh, the CBRS spectrum, which is a national spectrum that you can start licensing, li licensing parts of that spectrum to, de to deploy, uh, 5G connected device on top of it to start building a 5G network, which lower the cost as opposed to Canada. If you want to buy spectrum, you have to have billions of dollars to be able to, to, to buy spectrum and start building a network. Um, so in the U S do you have freedom Fi and helium? They just got acquired by helium as well. They build decentralized networks, telecom networks, and you through crypto economics to a coin, you can be incentivized to host a hotspot in your home, which I have in my, in, in, in my place. And, and with that device, they started building the biggest 
uh, LoRaWAN network in the whole world. And they're trying to do the same thing with 5G. So you have people that are incentivized to deploy hotspots 5G in their home. And when you have enough of those hotspots, you can start paying, uh, you can start charging for inter service providers to use your network to sell services to user. Um, and that we cannot do in Canada because the regulation doesn't allow it. You cannot buy parts of the spectrum. It has to be regional, local, and all that kind of stuff. And it costs a, a lot of money. That is, I've, I have not heard of that with that kind of decentralization of the network. What, what would be like, obviously it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent in the United States and, you know, it would take some regulation change for us, but would there be improvement like in network speed, obviously costs would, would lower, like what would the end consumer, like what would that benefit look like for yeah, them? There's an amazing article, multi-coin capital invested in helium and they breaks down like the unit economics of what's going to change, but like maintaining the networks, uh, improving the networks, um, the, uh, FTEs, like the people you need to, to hire to, to maintain all that kind of stuff. Also rent, because you don't have to pay rent. You don't have to buy land to build those massive telecom towers. You can just use that. You can ju just use the corner of someone's office uh, to offer it to, to start spreading, uh, to start spreading signal. So there's a lot of advantage to it when you think about it. I don't think that in the format that Ilium's is, Ilium is built right now is going to change the old telecom landscape, but the centralized network, I think they're going to absolutely be a thing in the future. And when you think about 5G, 5G is highly, highly strong. Like the signal is really dense in a certain area and they can get like, I don't remember, it was like 500 megabyte speeds and like the latency is amazing and stuff, but you need to have antennas every... Uh, 100 meters or something. So imagine the cost for a company to absorb that true cost of deploying 5G antennas every 100 meters across Canada. It's like, it's not even feasible for Bell. Like it's, it's not even a thing. And when you see right now the little 5G icons on your phone when you're connected to 5G, the truth is that you're probably not even connected to a real 5G, 5G antenna. It's, it's this history is happening again. It's like uh, in the past, Bell was like before they, they had backbone fiber, but they didn't have fiber to the home premises. And they were selling like, hey, connector services, it's fiber, it's amazing. And so it was a backbone and people were like, oh, it's fiber. But after that, it's DSL that do the, the last mile. And then 10 years after they started rolling out real FTTH and they had to rebrand and start selling again. Hey, now it's real. Like now it's the real thing. You have to subscribe to our services because now it's true that we, we, we deployed fiber to the home. Uh, and it's kind of what's going to happen with 5G as well. They kind, they kind of sell 5G when it's not really, really there. No. And, and I guess we could maybe turn a bit back to the software side and specifically where your business comes in, um, you know, we, we talked about, you mentioned that kind of transparency aspect and that being very important and, you know, Hey, the first 24 months, we're not making a single dollar off you as a customer. How do you really look at that customer relationship? So if you were not able to increase prices, is it increasing more quality offerings? How do you look at like growing that relationship with the customer more so than just being just let's say just doing internet with them. Um, so 
the way that it's evolving is that we're going towards a self-serve, self-healing kind of internet in the future. And what I mean by that, self-serve, it's simple. It's like through our app, you're going to be able to activate every kind of services in a matter of minutes in the long term. Even eventually, like the hardware part component of it is going to be pretty much non-existent. Like eSIMS is, is, is already a thing and it's going to be like we're going to digitize all the hardware components at some point if you look at, 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 at the long-term horizon. Um, Self-filling, it's actually pretty important. And it's, it's almost non-existent in, in most countries right now is that internet is so essential right now that it needs to work 100% of the time and you need to be proactive about what can happen and what are the problems. Since our software is monitoring every customer device that is online and all that kind of stuff, we can start seeing patterns and data that is gonna, that we're going to be able to analyze and send back to the customer for information, through digestible information, like what happened with Rogers. And also, eventually, like there's companies that are right now are focusing solely, solely on like what... Wi-Fi signal can do in terms of like um, improvement into your home and like true Wi-Fi signal that is spread to your 2.4 or 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi, you can eventually see people moving into the home that interfere with those with those signals. You can also some say that they can track the heart rate of someone, like the breathing and all that is as precise as that. So for for example in elder care houses, you can automatically get a notification if your grandma will fall, would fall on the floor and be, um, would, would be not moving for like a couple seconds and you could go see her and see if, or flag someone to go see her and see, and see if she's all right. So there's a lot of things that are, that will be happening with like Wi-Fi signal with smart home and all kind of stuff. And right now we're just trying to wrap our head around what's out there, where Oxio is the best position to add value into those kind of services that are coming out, that, that will be coming out. Should we partner up with people who are already um, working on that or should we go build it in-house and all kind of stuff? And we're trying to be proactive and like, what are the new services that we're going to be able to allow? And when you get all that data into someone's life, like, the Wi-Fi, the home internet Wi-Fi is a privileged place that you have into a customer into a customer home, right? And if you see eventually the movement of the person and you see that like for insurance company, you want to insure uh, houses that the more uh, at risk uh, um, rooms in a home is somewhere that the customer never goes, maybe we could be able to use that data and get a discount to a customer to save 10% yearly on his home insurance. I'm giving you example right now, but eventually those things are going to be a reality. So um, we're just really thinking about like what could be the next biggest thing that adds value to our customer. And the fact that we're solely focused on software enables us to actually have those kind of daydreaming session because we would have the bandwidth to deploy it. If we would be focused on infrastructure, we wouldn't have the time, the resources and money to actually do that. And how do you look at that kind of balancing act? Because I would think you know, adding new products, you know, the vision of, of where that expansion can go while also just managing geographic expansion. As you mentioned, you're in Vancouver, Toronto and Montreal. 
How do you balance those two aspects? Is there one that's more important right now? How do you look at that balancing act? Yeah. So I don't want to confuse people, but the software that we're building, Oxio, it's in the telecom space. It's mostly called, it's different than what we're building, but this space is called the OSS BSS. So operating system software and building system software space. We are building that for us at, at, at Oxio right now. And that will give us in the future, the power to roll out any kind of new funky uh, out of this world products that we just talked about because we have the control over the services that we're gonna sell. So our focus right now for the next year or two is solely that, but we started to receive some inbound from like uh, U.S. companies and companies elsewhere around the world that were like, hey, we love the Oxio experience that you're offering in Canada. Do you have, do you license a software to offer that uh, so we can offer that to our users? Do you, do, you, do you license an OSSBSS? And we actually realized that helping other challengers in other countries through our software would help, would actually be the best positive feedback loop and the best positive synergy for our software and also for our customers in Canada. Because think about it, you have like an OSS BSS, you have multiple ISPs around the world that use your OSS BSS, you start to iterate on, iterate on that knowledge and you get that knowledge back to Canada to delight your users. You get the feedback from your user in Canada, you pour it back in your software and then you start expanding and getting some macro data, what's happening in the telecom industry all across the world, right? So right now, Oxio, what is focusing on, it's really to roll out as many products as possible to Canadians through our software. And starting next year, we're gonna start licensing that software to other ISPs all across the world. Kind of like what Amazon did with, again, AWS. So we're eventually gonna have two product lines that are going to be distinct, but in the same entity. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. And that is extremely interesting with that operating system in the sense of gathering that data elsewhere and then being able to use that for your own benefit internally in Canada. Yeah. Um, how do you look at adding kind of future services? So right now you have internet, TV, phone, and kind of bundle there would you be making a move into cellular? Is that a completely different space? Is that a huge jump? Like, what does that look like? We 100% want to go into cellular in Canada. The limitation again is regulation for now. Um, but I believe that Minister Champagne uh, wants to change that. And there's, there's going to be a new chairman of the CRTC that's going to be nominated uh, soon. Uh, they just extended the, the, the current ones mend it, but it's going to end, I think, January. And depending on who they nominate, one of their responsibility will be to review uh, the tariff for mobile and make sure that, it's, that it sparks competition all across Canada. So if they regulate favorably uh, for competition, we would love to deliver solar. But we're going to keep the same model and the same essence, philosophy essence, is that we don't want to build infrastructure. So we wouldn't pay billions of dollars to build our whole networks. I think that it's not efficient for Canadians. It's not efficient for pricing. We want to use existing infrastructure to start offering mobile. So yeah, we're going to be rolling out mobile at some point. The only question is when. Um, 
it could take some time, but we hope that the government is gonna is gonna is gonna help us uh, make a chance in that space as well. When you look at the incumbents that are out there, like we kind of described, you know what they're kind of doing wrong right now with that lack of focus on the customer side. Um, as we're seeing potentially Rogers buying Shaw, if that goes through and, you know, more, you know, that brings freedom mobile into their platform as well. And we kind of see it just being the big three consistently. Um, where do you, I, I guess, where does Oxio fit in on, in that? Uh, are you looking to be, the next, you know, make that the big four? Are you looking right now just to provide that much better of a service? I guess I'm just interested to see, like, it is really kind of like that David Goliath re relationship there. Uh, and maybe more of your thinking behind that. Yeah, just a, a tiny caveat. Um, Quebecar is actually the one who supposedly is going to acquire Freedom Mobile because they had to offload uh, okay. the mobile uh, services to shot for the acquisition to go through. But it's still it's still up for debate. Technically, it's supposed to be Quebecor, but the former um, Win Freedom was called Win Mobile before, uh, and the founders Antonio Lacarrera and Bryce Chechak actually bid uh, bidded to buy back the company also, and there's there were some competition and it's not a done deal yet. So maybe we're going to have surprises and stuff. I would love if the, the former win mobile guys could, could buy back their company and start competing against the big guys. That would be amazing. Um, so yeah. Um, where do we fit? Is that the thing is, is that we're all about collaboration. Like I, I, I talk about, like we wouldn't be able to exist without people deploying infrastructure. And we want to partner with people who wants us on their infrastructure, which is not what is happening right now. But we believe that through market forces in the future and for the benefit of Canadians, eventually they, they will have to collaborate and work with us. So we don't want to be uh, the next big four and competing against them. We want to work with all of them to be a viable alternative options for all Canadians and we also want to grow like we have big ambitions, like we're going to going international and all kind of stuff. And traditionally in the telecom space, you would grow through acquisitions and expand geos by networks and all kind of stuff. For us, we kind of see us evolving digitally. We want to, we don't want to be the infrastructure owners that deploy new infrastructure and all kind of stuff. We want to see our software expense in multiple geos and power the, ch the challengers and the oxios that are based in, uh, in the US that are based in Latin America that are based in Europe and want to supercharge them to be able to focus on connecting users and delighting their users. And in Canada, we just want to work with people who wants to help us grow and be able to use their network and they see the value in us using their network and growing uh, together. That's that's where we, we see we're going to fit in long term. And Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned, you know, kind of data going to zero in terms of that cost. And even from a consumer standpoint, you know, I remember having to pay $70, $80 for 500 megabytes of data. Now I can pay the same and get, you know, unlimited 45 gigs at like full speed. How does that look like from like a internet service provider? Is there a cost? Like, it sounds like 
the conversation we've been having, infrastructure is the biggest cost. And then maybe the consumer, you know, that direct relationship there, like as actually people downloading more, using the internet more, does that add burden to the system? Like how do those kind of costs break down and does that affect your pricing at all? Yeah, it does. Like the spike that uh, was observed during COVID, for example, because people were at home, it put a big load into people's, uh, into incumbents networks and into any kind of networks. Um, It has a cost. It's not linearly though. Um, So technically, like there's rule of of thumbs in the telecom space that you're going to, if your network has a one gigabytes capacity, you're probably going to sell times 18. You're going to sell 18 gigabytes capacity to your old customer base because people are not using internet at the same time. Like I'm not pressing enter at the same time as you are. And maybe we're not watching Netflix at the same time. There's peak hours between like five and 9 PM at night. It's uh, almost always peak hours. And also there's uh, heavens like when uh, hockey games in Canada, like special hockey games and that kind of stuff that drives uh, that increase the need for for bandwidth so that's definitely a cost layering on the infrastructure is a cost as well but it's not linear and also that goes back to my point if we could share infrastructure we could all split split most of the cost and the bandwidth capacity like since it's a not linear cost and that it uh, if there's more and more people who are if there's one entity who was managing the whole spectrum of, of infrastructure their price is going to be cheaper on a per customer basis to operate than if there's multiple entities that are owning that. So if we spread our costs together and we use one manager of the infrastructure per se, I don't know how to call it, that would actually go back to the customer's pocket as well. When you look at that infrastructure with like the big three or the incumbents there, are are they all laying their independent infrastructure building their own towers are they sharing already i guess you know i would love that ideal world of you know everybody has access to whether it's a private or public government entity that owns all that infrastructure are they sharing it now is is it working there uh yeah they're like just if you look at mobile there's roaming agreements with all the incumbents across the world. Like you go, if, if you're a Rogers customer and you go in Europe, you're going to automatically be uh, transferred to a local uh, carrier because they have roaming agreements. So they share, they, they share, um, they share infrastructure and there's also local operators who own local spectrum. And then the incumbents are going to do roaming agreements with them or, um, they're gonna they're gonna split the networks and before there was I I think it's still the case. Like Roger and Videotron had a deal to share infrastructure, or was it and Telus and Bell? I think that was Telus and Bell were together across Canada and Rogers and Videotron, if I remember correctly. So yeah, they're definitely sharing. And what would it look like, you know, like I was just recently in the US roaming you know, seamless, didn't notice a change at all. It always looks like, you know, there's obviously acquisitions, you know, with like an American telecom bought a US one and made a subsidiary. Would there be the ability of, you know, your operating system is going to be available globally? 
would a provider be able to cross borders and maybe become like a global provider? Is that even doable? Is that realistic? Or is, is that kind of way too future focused? I think that's everything at, uh, at a certain scale becomes realist, realistic, I think. And the, the biggest barrier is in telecom, it's not technology. Like if you look at a fiber network deployed or uh, LTE network or 4G, whatever deployed um, in another country, you're going to have the same equipment vendors. You're going to have the Nokia, um, the Cisco, like all those big players equipment. And it's going to be like technologically, it's going to be similar. So technologically wise, this could happen. After that, it's regulation because it's a highly regulated entity. So uh, industry. So that's up for grabs is the, if the government eventually are going to move uh, forward on that or not. But technologically wise, it's totally feasible. I'd love to enter the, the quick fire round here to wrap things up. Uh, first question, what is the best book you have read or maybe one that's sitting on your shelf that you want to dive into? Yeah. Um, my Okay, so my personal favorite book of all time is When Breath Becomes Air from Paul Kalanity, I think his last name. Um, and during his book, he tries to answer... Uh, the answer of what makes life worth living. And he's like, he's a neurosurgeon who got diagnosed with cancer at a young age and is writing at the same time that he's learning that. Um, and it's like, it's amazing, earthbreaking and uplifting at the same time. Like you have all the color palettes of emotions that you're going to go through reading that book. And it's really, really, really good. Uh, on a professional level, like just for, for Oxio and, and where we at right now, uh, the great CEO Witten from Matt Mochari is like a tactical CEO playbook. And we gave that to our first 10 employees when we started Oxio. And I think it's one of the, the books that I gave the most. And um, also the new, the new Amazon book, Working Backwards, like all our processes and all that kind of stuff, we, we inspired ourselves mostly from Amazon uh, and a lot of things. And Working Backwards, it's really, really uh um, an amazing re reading. Um, so yeah, those are my books that I would recommend. I'll have to add those three to my list. Uh, question two, what are you most excited about this year? Whether that's work related, personal, whatever you want that to be. Yeah. Um, mm, this Friday I'm doing, uh, an ultra, uh, ultra run. I'm running 125 K in the woods and I, failed miserably trying to do that last year so it's my second attempt so i'm really pumped about this and there's i have my brother who is running with me uh as well who's gonna do the 125k he's a better runner than i am so uh i'm gonna ha i'm gonna try to to follow him a bit and that's gonna be amazing company wise i'm really excited about um what uh about our international software play as well that is coming uh in 2023 um and I'm like, I dream every night about our first user using uh, Gaia, which is the name of our of our software that will be uh, available soon. Uh, it's going to be an, an amazing moment once we get our first international customer. So that's I'm pretty excited about that, too. Love that. Uh, final question. How do you deal with hard times being a founder, especially 
in in the industry you're going up against, there's going to be those hard times emotionally, physically, whatever that may be. How do you deal with yeah, those? There, there has been a lot of, of tough times for us, honestly, uh, and for, for me personally as well. The thing that I do once I realize, because also just realizing you're in a rough spot, like to admit to yourself, it's it's already one of the, uh, it's already a tough, a, a tough sell to yourself that you're, hey, oh, okay, now you're in a tough spot. But um, it's just simple as getting back to the basics, uh, to the essentials. Like if it's a really, like if it's a really, really, really tough pot time, I will probably just go back for a couple weeks at my parents' place. Uh, I will like completely eliminate alcohol and stuff that can impact my moon mood. And I will focus on what I know for a fact that makes me really happy, like oxio reading, running, meditating, and spend time with friends and family until I get back to a somewhat desirable mood. So that, that is my go-to, but again, it's so, it's so like the trick is to, be honest with yourself that you're going through a tough time. And that's the the tough part, I think. Yeah, I think being compassionate and empathetic, just even with yourself yeah. is, is really crucial. Mm -hmm. Mark, I really appreciate the conversation today. So insightful on the business and, you know, the broader industry here in Canada. And hopefully have you on again in the future. Thanks, man. I had a blast. It was really nice. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, share with friends, and reach out with guest suggestions. Check out the podcast description for my social and website links to stay up to date with all future episodes.